Hello and welcome. This is On the Barricades, and I'm Boyan Snislavsky, the host of the program. Uh, with me is Pat Byrne, uh, who is a left uh, the historian and a left uh, long-standing leftist activist, uh, and we're discussing democracy uh, and the outcomes of the last month's America's La America led summit for democracy. Uh, during the first part, we uh, discussed whether it was more of a failure or more of a success for America and uh, what, uh, which countries participated, uh, what non-governmental entities participated in that uh, initiative. And Pat, you were about to finish your thought uh, on uh, the on the people leading the the sort of the sub discussions uh, during that summit. Sure. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> you know, you had your you had your plenary summits where the 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 state um, you know the prime ministers presidents would make some. And actually, if you listen to their contributions, they were not al along the American line. They were just making generic contributions about what they're doing in their country to benefit women and and other important uh, aspects, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, uh, how, they were how they were dealing with the challenge of COVID. So it didn't actually fit in very much. But much the, the real meat of this event were the, the side panels, where they were, <clears throat> they were gathering together representatives of youth movements and other ones. Right. Um, they they, they want to use this whole thing to build up their forces in each country, um, which they're funding, uh, designed to... Uh, either to change regimes or to destabilize regimes or to support the regimes that they 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 want to, but mainly the first two mm -hmm. and um I was just looking at one of the panels and I was just finishing off where one of part of the agenda is um is that they are um that they they they're building a a movement against corruption right that's right. So, <laughs> You can come back to us. It, it, I don't need to show this, really. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and now you would think that corruption, you know, fighting corruption was a pretty straightforward uh, thing and it's non-controversial, surely. <clears throat> but actually, like everything else, uh, you know, what should be, you know, they talk about fighting for uh, democracy, for human rights. But unfortunately, what they've done is they've they've t they've got a particular take on what these things are, and they've weaponized them. Exactly. And, yeah. To, and, to, and to I just want to weigh. I just want to weigh in here. Sorry, because the the notion of corruption, in particular, is a very toxic one for Eastern Europeans. Because this is particularly what the West or or uh, you know America American organizations in our region. <laughs> Uh, have always been using when they when the government when any government would do anything that they would not like or that the you know American embassies in the respective countries would not like they would go like oh corruption there is corruption we have to so they would sort of you know organize orchestrate artificial scandals around corruption particularly when governments were uh, you know when they did not like what the government was doing and uh, especially bulgaria and romania or countries when you hear anything about bulgaria and romania it's all corruption and we have to fight corruption and in the final aftermath you know of, of fighting corruption combating corruption under the auspices of the us what happened in romania for example uh, which is you know a country 
mm-hmm. an important big country in Eastern Europe, is that they have a special prosecu- prosecution office for fighting corruption, which is essentially an office that the American embassy uses to mm-hmm. uh, to to, uh, uh, to dictate the internal uh, political process in that country. Okay, so uh, when you hear about corruption in Eastern Europe and when you hear it from uh, representatives Mm. of of, uh, Western or West-aligned organizations, then, you know, you should be really uh, sort of, you should turn on your critical thinking and critical perception because this is mostly BS. Well, we, you know, I'm here in Brazil and um, we're perhaps one of the most prominent examples of what you're talking about uh, because we had... um, you know, we had a progressive president, uh, Dilma Rousseff, and they organized a, a massive campaign against her, accusing her of corruption. Right. In the end, they were not able to prove anything. And uh, so what they did was they, in the in the wake of this uh, huge p- p- PR campaign against her, they then organized her... Smearing impeach- campaign. Let's just yeah, call it smearing campaign, it right? Yeah. And they, they then organized her, successfully organized her impeachment. And the grounds on which she was impeached was that the government had, in one particular year, had uh, released some statistics that were a bit favourable, uh, uh, that were a bit over-optimistic about the economy. Now, if <laughs> if that was the grounds for impeachment, then every yeah. government in the world would be removed Should from be impeached ten times. Yes. I know. Anyway, so they removed her. But then, because of the way the constitution is... Um, uh, Lula, you know, who is our, 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 our famous uh, left-wing president in Brazil's history, he had been in power before her, uh, and he'd done his two terms of office, and there was a limitation. But once you've done your two terms of office, as you know from the example of, of Russia, you can then come back. So he decided in the wake of this situation to stand in the next election. And it was quite clear he was going to win that election. So what did they do? Again, they accused him of corruption. They took him to trial and they put him in prison while the trial was on. Uh, and while he was also, then they, then they, they, um, they sorry, they, they, they first found him guilty. They put him in prison while he was appealing and they used that to prevent him standing in the election. Right. Of course, he then, he, then the election came and we got this terrible character, Bolsonaro, who's basically mm. tried to copy Trump. And, um, so uh, Lula was in jail for up to 20 years. So he, in his, on his appeal, uh, he was able to show how the whole trial had been corrupted. Hold on a sec. You said 20 was... years? He was in, in jail for 20 years for corruption? No, he would have been. He would have ah, been. He would have been. Okay. Yeah. So he was in jail for about, I guess it would have been a year and a half, two years or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and um, he, he appealed and he sh- it was able, luckily, uh, Glenn Greenwald um, mm. from The Intercept who's based in Brazil, he exposed how the judge in the trial, uh, how he corruptly communicated all the time with the, with the prosecution and advised them on how to pursue their prosecution to be successful. <clears throat> and then, of course, when he got, he, got, he, he, was, he gave uh, Lula the sentence and it was all carried through, he then got appointed as a minister of justice by Bolsonaro. Right. And it was all pretty obvious. So anyway, the, the Supreme Court released uh, Lula and they've also allowed him to stand again. So he's going to stand in the elections later this year. And he's ahead in the opinion polls, dramatically ahead in the opinion polls. It looks like he's going to get elected president. But there's a classic example. Now, 
what they what what they actually did against him uh, involved what they call it. They've got a new word for this. They call it lawfare. You know, not warfare, mm-hmm. but lawfare. And right. you're very you. You know what you said about. You said, I think it was Bulgaria, you said that they've got this prosecution office that's effectively run by the Americans, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's run by the mafia uh, that is blessed by the Americans. Okay. So, All yeah. right. well, well, no, but actually it's gone further than that. The, yeah. What happened after 9-11, <clears throat> the Americans have created these kind of like treaties where they get different countries to sign up to fight terrorism and uh, whatever. But basically, it allows now in a lot of countries the FBI um, to go into those countries and actually arrest people in those countries and extradite, fast extradite, extradition and all that. So that was, for example, that was how they arrested the, um, uh, the head of FIFA in Switzerland. Um, so they've got all these t- extraterritorial um, powers now. Um, and and in the case of Lula, they had they had a, a team of over twenty FBI agents working round the clock on uh, pursuing Lula, effectively, um, you know, helping the, uh, the the state forces in in Brazil to to uh, to lock him up. And uh, right. so you can see that this whole cor- corruption uh, mechanism that they push. As being weaponized by the Americans to act against their enemies, as you and, and it's also said. it's also another another uh, display uh, of utter hypocrisy because uh, like it, you know when the Americans talk about corruption, where corruption is uh, half legalized in a sense that you know all the all those lobbyists and lobby groups uh, that you know are free to approach Congress people and uh, you know basically. Uh, uh, well, corrupt them. <laughs> that's that's the correct word here. Mm. Uh, that's uh, that's something. Uh, well, rather, I would say, yeah, audacious, uh, audacious. Sorry, audacious. Yeah well, yeah. well, I mean, I mean, that's the whole thing, isn't it? That they they want that. The reason why they want these open countries mm. um, is that they can the Americans and then use their financial muscle to finance politicians, political parties, election campaigns. Because this is how it uh, happens in their home. media. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're just they're just exporting. They're exporting their own version of uh, their, their own system. Now, <clears throat> the question the question is, um, how effective is this going to be? Yeah, now, exactly. There is, that's, there is a that's big danger. There's a big danger of what the Americans are doing because it could blow up in their faces. I, oh, yeah. I think. Because why? Because <clears throat> in the past, a lot of their overt, you know, their public activities where they go and finance all these different organizations to do these, um, you know, fake democracy movements, protest movements to overthrow governments, all the rest of it. They, they, they got away with doing a lot of these things without people generally understanding what they were up to. Because most people are very domestically orientated. You know, they, they look at the events going on in their own country and they don't necessarily know about all the details of this stuff in other countries. <clears throat> and I would say even the left have been fairly naive or, or ignorant Absolutely. about these And I, I include myself. You know, it's only in the in quite in the last few years that I've started to realise uh, a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, I used to be very aware of how the CIA operated their coups. You know, how they built up to their coups, but I didn't really follow how they were doing this kind of more open uh, operation, which can sometimes be as effective, if not more effective, in overthrowing governments. But but by doing this. What they're doing, 
they're elevating this to a an international campaign level so that everybody will start to see that what they're up to and that it's the same the same tactics they're following in each country and and i think that we we saw this recently with the reaction to the events in kazakhstan which we haven't got time to go into in a quite complex situation but That's we've true. seen That's the reaction to that is that more and more governments are realizing are thinking that they're getting nervous about these color revolutions and regime change operations. Thank you for bringing that up. I think it's a, it's a very important point because now what they've done with this, uh, you know, uh, like there is no direct evidence that the West has had their hand in what happened in Kazakhstan. Sure. There is some yeah. circumstantial evidence, and to my to. You know, to, in my opinion, it's it's a rather convincing one. But of course, I, I, we should admit that there is no direct evidence that would be a matter yeah. of public record right now. However, you know what they did if had they had actually, or if they had their hand in this, then they've achieved the effect which is exactly the opposite of what they probably desired. In a sense yeah. that you know they allowed Russia to basically project its power within an organization that until now probably no one has heard except for a few experts called the CSTO, Collective Security Treaty Organization, which right. was created in the beginning of the 90s and was basically put to sleep right afterwards. And 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 now through this organization, not, not only the revival of this organization, but through this organization, Russia is able to project, and China to a large extent as well, project its power onto uh, you know, Central Asia. And again, like in the case of Belarus, where we had this leader that was trying to play ball with the West and, 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 and with Russia, now it's fully in the hands of Russia and fully dependent on Moscow. Same goes for, for Kazakhstan right now. So I think that it could blow back, not only in terms of uh, like people getting or governments getting more aware, but also it could blow back in a sense that this this doesn't work anymore, guys. In a sense, the Russian uh, foreign minister, or not the foreign minister, the vice, uh, the deputy foreign minister, Ryabkov, he said that Russia will actually now act to prevent color revolutions. So, you yeah, know, I mean, exactly, yeah. it's just not going to work anymore that way. I think, and, and, I think uh, yeah. I think more and more governments... Just allow me to finish, uh, to yeah, finish sorry, my thought. It's, it's that, yeah. uh, you know, I, I feel that they have not thought it over. They have not thought it through. In a sense... Come on, like if you want to make a summit for democracy, if you want to, you know, enforce some kind of global order, you should come up with relatively innovative ideas, not just repeating, you know, uh, the same thing that, you know, has been in place for like 20 years and is obviously proving has reached its limits. So, right. Well, I mean, they they feel, and I think with justification, that their regime change uh, architecture of you know funding all these non-governmental organizations fighting for supposedly for uh, democracy for human rights they're funding independent media and all the rest of it it, it if you look at it uh, around the world it's been pretty successful they've, they've achieved a lot of overturning of governments well, um, of course of course they did yeah, but, but it's but like now, reaching but, its limits yeah, yeah. it's reaching its limits and I, I think that more and more governments will be thinking about maybe shutting down these organizations. And, and I, I think they're quite right to do so because, <clears throat> you know, it is not democratic to allow foreign governments to come into your country and fund organizations which interfere with your politics. That's undermining Absolutely. your sovereignty and your democracy. And it's Americans totally the- don't allow that. Americans no, they don't, don't allow, allow that. Because you try, and do, you try and do any of these things in America and you get yeah. booted out pretty sharpish. So um, it's one rule for them and one rule for everyone else. But the, And the same, I would imagine the same is probably true in most of the European countries as well. You imagine if, they, if the Chinese was to um, 
turn up in Britain and try yeah. to build one of these kind of organizations. Open society organization. Yeah. <laughs> open open so- society yeah. open to socialism or something like that. Now the the other the other the other um irony of this summit <clears throat> is that is that it's actually instead of doing what they thought it was going to do, it's actually brought the spotlight onto America and mm. what's happening in America. And uh, <clears throat> and not only that, I think it's it's raised a lot of questions because of that where people are saying, well, well, hold on a minute. You know, you say you're so democratic. Well, what, what, why is there so much problem in America? Why is there so much polarization, so much discontent, so much anger? Um, and, and the same problem across the other uh, leading democracies. I mean, one of the farces of these situations is that they, they, they trumpet the fact they've got democracy, but the people are not happy with the governments they're electing, right? And, yeah. and, the, and the reason for that, of course, is that the... <clears throat> The old version of democracy, which which wasn't which, which had a lot of you could make a lot of criticisms of, but even that old form of uh, of capitalist democracy has been largely hollowed out. You know, there's the 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 one government after you can see it in one country after another. They the system has become co- so corrupt with uh, lobbying and whatever, and, and it's um, uh, the the use of public relations manipulation um, and the media has become so much more effective that you ended up with situations where people are voting for governments and then regretting. So I think the expression was elect and regret. I think we used that before, didn't we? But in many cases, people are calling this uh, an elective dictatorship. So you you elect people, but then they they act like dictators over you, and they don't do they don't do what they promise they're going to do. Yeah, also, and they don't deliver stability. They don't deliver any stability, which is, uh, you know, I I think that sort of the you know, the basis uh, for people to to be able to sort of, uh, you know, start. Well, there's that, about- there's that aspect. Yeah, that's even, that's very important. But they, but they don't deliver, they don't deliver full stop. I mean, so as a result, people's living standards are falling. Mm-hmm. Their welfare states are being stripped away um, and their conditions are getting worse. And, and uh, they, they can't do anything about it. They change one government to another government and it doesn't make any difference. And so that's people, are becoming, so when they do opinion polls, um, in the in the so-called uh, leading democracies, they find that something like they get figures like twenty percent, only twenty percent of the population are happy with their governments. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. And also uh, the question of trust in public institutions—that's even worse. I mean, you've uh, yeah, got public good. institutions in the West and in Eastern Europe, by the way, as well, where the trust is like on the level of below ten percent. So yeah. So yeah. So that then brings us on to. Um, I have some cartoons here, but maybe we don't need to look at those. But um, let's, I think maybe we could look at American democracy. because Yeah, I was, I was exactly going to, uh, to ask you about this. Uh, because, okay, there's this country trying to project democracy all around the world. So let's, let's take a closer look, okay, for a, a couple of minutes uh, at American democracy and at the model, which is, or at, you know, or at the ideal model, supposedly, or perhaps not so ideal, the, considering that Joe Biden or whatever other American leaders that were present uh, on uh, in the summit, uh, you know, were kind of apologetic about, uh, that's what you said in the previous segment, right? About the problems. Sure. Uh, that, uh, okay, so I'm turning on the, uh, this. Sharing, yeah, if you can turn on the sharing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's on. <laughs> Okay, so I, I've just got a few cartoons which I think sum up the the situation in America. So the first one, and 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 one of the Chinese uh, speakers at a recent seminar uh, called called uh, 
American democracy, American manitocracy, and I think it's mm -hmm. justified if you look at what's happening. Um, <clears throat> so here, the first one, it says, um, uh, what this is referring to is that in 2000, I think it was 2011, the Supreme Court came out with a really weird and crazy ruling, um, which of course suited the uh, the um, the big companies, which uh, the Supreme Court uh, basically uh, rules in favour of most of the time. And what they said was that they they started to treat the corporations as people, because the Constitution says that people have got free speech, individuals, and they by treating them as as free, as, as individuals, which is ridiculous because obviously they're not individuals. Um, they then could lift all the, the main controls over how much money they could spend and how much they could intervene in the elections. So we've now seen, since that ruling, a massive expansion in uh, corruption in America. And, and it's, it's legal. You know, it's all this lobbying, all these lobbying of, uh, of congressmen and, and senators and whatever. Um, and basically, these companies give huge amounts of money to finance them, um, finance their election campaigns, and all the rest of it. And as a result, <clears throat> they basically call the tune. And um, so this is really a plutocracy. It's not a democracy in America nowadays. Right. Right. And then the second, the second uh, cartoon here, you can see, um, <clears throat> as I said here, they're asking, is he, he asking if this guy is voting, and he says, uh, no, he's not voting. He's buying it. So that's basically more and more the situation in America. And then this is an expression they use now, the best democracy money can buy. And it, it sounds very cynical, but sadly, it's just, uh, that's the situation we're, um, we're facing, you know. Um, so perhaps we'd come out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Well, that's, uh, th th that's obviously, you know, I mean, a symbolic uh, sort of manifestation of, of, of the problems that uh, the American, uh, America is facing in terms of its democratic order. Uh, but uh, perhaps I can go into a couple more. Uh, add a couple more things in terms of the actual existing right, so please, system. Please go ahead because I'd like to uh, to use the the, the remaining uh, fifteen twenty minutes of the program to sure. uh, to discuss not so much the very outcomes of the of the summit which we have right. which we're do, have been doing yeah. so far, but rather to focus uh, like maybe more politically and philosophically, even if you like, on what kind of uh, what are the the real dangers uh, for real democracy. I mean. Yeah, Without well, I mean, I think that's good because uh, America is now facing a very urgent and deep crisis in its democracy. <clears throat> now, it starts off already. Um, we, we have this very strange system where <clears throat> everyone thinks that, that uh, democracy rules in America is ruled by the majority. But mm -hmm. actually, that is not how the system works. The presidency is not determined by the popular vote. It's determined by an electoral college. Uh, and in that electoral college, the electoral college was drawn up because of the slave state. You know, this was when America had slavery mm -hmm. and they wanted to get the slave states to sign up to their constitution. So they had to give advantages to the slave states. So we have this strange situation in the electoral college where state, each state has got so many votes. And then, of course, they're represented according to, um, you know, each state in the country, not yeah. according to the population. And similarly, in the Senate, the Senate, for example, if the Senate was elected according to the popular vote in America, the Democrats would currently have 75 senators. 
And they've only got yeah. Obviously, the Senate is an absolutely undemocratic institution. Where exactly. I mean, you know, even by by the quantities, if you judge it like, like something of the size of Delaware has the same amount of senators as California. Yeah. So if you do it, if you do it by size, yeah, or if you do it yeah. by population, I think they've got. Yeah, yeah. You know, countries like uh, Dakota, North Dakota, yeah. uh, less than a million, where I've got the same two senators as um, California. Plus, you've got the fact that the state of Washington, you know, DC. Doesn't have senators. They've yeah, because it's not a state. <laughs> yes. No, no, it is a state. Yes, well, it is a state. But they don't allow them to have senators. The reason being is because they didn't want the Democrats to get two more seats. The same okay. with Puerto Rico. They have not allowed Puerto, even though all the Puerto Ricans are American citizens, and it's one of the states on the flag. It's not allowed to have any senators because they know that they will tend to vote more left, more left, and and, and elect uh, Democrats. So there's. So then, and then you've got the, the. So we end up with a crazy situation where, on many elections, um, the presidency uh, is elected on a minority vote. So that's how, for example, George W. Bush, who took America to war and and all the other things, um, he he got elected on a minority vote. Um, mm-hmm. The same with Trump, he got elected on a minority vote. So you, you'll see that the Republicans are regularly winning presidential elections, even though they haven't got a majority. The same in the Senate. That they often win the Senate and they have a majority in the Senate, but they don't have a, the majority of the votes. And so you're talking about a very um, undemocratic system. On top of that, the, the other branch of government is the Supreme Court. Now, how is the Supreme Court? court um, uh, first of all, the Supreme Court is the, the, the nominees for the Supreme Court come from the president. So the president's elected on often on a minority vote. Then they're approved by the Senate. Senate's done on a minority vote. And that's the basis on which they were able to get these three right-wing, super right-wing uh, candidates onto the Supreme Court. So they now have an inbuilt extreme right-wing majority. But even to make it, make it even worse, <clears throat> the, nominees, the, the, the nominees that Trump made came from the Federalist Society, which is a private organization funded by dark money from corporations, which they don't have to declare where they came from. And they're the ones who are putting up these very right-wing nominees, and not just for the Supreme Court, but for all the courts, all the federal courts. So you've got all kind of crazy right-wing federal judges nowadays all over America uh, and are being backed up by the Supreme Court. Um, And what a lot of people think, uh, they're worried about the Supreme Court backing, um, you know, uh, uh, changing the law on abortion and on some other hot button moral or uh, cultural issues, but what they don't people don't take notice of is the way that the Supreme Court, which is what the neoliberals who are very highly organized in america they've taken they took control they set a strategy up to take control of the courts they control the the federalist society, and these people they put they're the ones who put these people onto the supreme Court. And they're getting the Supreme Court to make all these rulings in favor of big business. And also they're doing they're getting the Supreme Court to rule in favor of these changes, these big democratic or anti-democratic changes that are now being introduced in the states all over America. So let's maybe say something about that. I mean, um, this is the big the big danger that now faces America, that America is is pretty well on the on a on the direct path to authoritarian rule. Now, how are, they, how are they doing that? Well, basically, the Republicans who have been taken over by the neoliberal forces um, are organizing in a, in a highly coordinated way um, 
to get through all kind of changes at state level. And as they dominate the majority of states, this is going to have a massive effect. Unless it's stopped, it's going to have a massive effect on the elections this November for Congress and the elections for uh, Congress and the presidency in, in, in two and a half years. So um, now what they're doing is that I think probably most people are following this. They're, they're redrawing the boundaries so that they make sure that all the, Demo- the Democratic voters are almost all concentrated in a few seats and then they, they can then uh, win the other seats. They're suppressing the vote. They're finding all sorts of ways to take people off the electoral register who are black or poor or whatever, um, or, or in strongly democratic uh, areas. Um, they're influencing how the votes are going to be counted. Um, they're, they're making it so that um, they, it's difficult for people to get to vote. You know, they're making much less polling stations. They're abolishing early voting. Um, and they've even got, they've even now made changes so that even if they lose the vote, they can overturn the vote. So, um, so what they tried to do on the 6th of January, they tried to overturn the presidential vote. They weren't successful. But if what they're doing now goes is allowed to stand, um, then it means that in 2024, even if they lose the popular vote again, they, they, they might can actually overturn win. the vote. Yeah. They, can, they can declare the Republican candidate, which will probably be Trump, right. but it could uh, be uh, someone but, else, as yeah, a winner. Yeah. But by the way, I, there's this saying in in, uh, in Eastern Europe. I mean, I heard it in many Eastern European languages that you know the the elections are good, uh, or the elections are, are are set up properly when they are won, no matter who wins. That's the, the kind yeah, of thing yeah. about you know, uh, like sort of demonstrates Guaranteed. the attitude of the Eastern European societies towards the system <clears throat> that is in place right now. Yeah. So so we we're talking. So now. The um, Biden yeah, well, but, 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 yeah okay, please I finish yeah. finish about uh, finish your thought about the American democracy and the problems that it's facing okay. and the authoritarian right. uh, tendencies that sure. are developing obviously but I'd like you to use the, the remaining ten minutes of the program to uh, to to to, uh, to present what you consider to be the most important uh, dangers for democracy globally in a sense that okay. uh, you know you and I spoke many times about neoliberalism and you know you are uh, mm. one of the people arguing that neoliberalism is not just a theory but is actually uh, an idea a projection a, a sort of an um, a model for for capitalism where democracy would essentially be wiped out so well, that, I, I, that's right. it that's it that's the key thing that, that a lot of people are confused. They can't get their head around why is it that in the past the Republicans used to be, um, uh, you know, they used to be a, a, a relatively broad church, you know, like the right. Democrats could be argued to be. So you would, you know, when you had votes in the Senate uh, and in the Congress, you'd have minorities in each party mm-hmm. voting different ways. <clears throat> and they... And they um, that that's not the that's not the situation in the Republican Party today. Um, they they've become like a a Stalinist democratic centrist organization, mm. and, and the neoliberals um, have used the neoliberals. Um, a lot of people see the neoliberals as some kind of um, ideological movement, which undoubtedly they are economic neoliberalism. But but that's not the fundamental thing of neoliberal neoliberalism. The bottom line of the neoliberal movement is that. 
never mind their theory. And I can give lots of examples how they've dropped their parts of their theories. I mean, for example, they they used to they used to argue very strongly for a level playing field and the open market and so on. But in more in in, in for a long time that they've backed. Um, uh, they've got rid of anti-monopoly legislation and they basically decided to back business getting bigger and bigger, um, <clears throat> which got, runs completely counter to their ideology, but they don't care about that. Basically, their bottom line is transferring transferring as much power as possible from ordinary people and wealth from ordinary people to the rich and to the to the big business. And that's so anything that anything that furthers that agenda they're willing to do. And the other interesting thing is they're willing to make alliances with all kind of forces. Uh you know, racist forces, gun lobbies, um religious fundamentalists. I mean, one of the ironies of the, the their link up with the religious fundamentalists is that a lot of the original neoliberals were atheists. Very often, mm-hmm. but they don't care as long as uh, those alliances further their interests um, they 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 follow them, and the end result has been that they have emerged as an incredibly powerful movement with huge amounts of funding. There's all these right wing billionaires pouring hundreds and hundreds of millions into their coffers. Yeah, the Koch brothers using, and so on. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, they they use um, this is a highly ironical thing, but they they have adopted quite consciously uh, Leninist organizational principles. Um, so they have built uh, what they call a cater organization, a huge cater organization. They have built front organizations. They they use united fronts with other other forces. Um, so and they 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 realize they've got to ideologize and educate their caters. So they do that as well. So the end result is that they now effectively control the Republican Party. And what they've done is that on every occasion where where they could. When any Republican got out of line in the House of Representatives or the Senate um, <clears throat> against Trump, for example, they would then discipline them and primary them or threaten to primary them. Mm-hmm. So they've now got them all working together. Now, the neoliberals themselves, um, I, they didn't originally start out that way. But, but by about the late 70s, if you go into their ideology of their leadership, they came to the realization that ultimately their agenda was at odds with even capitalist democracy because they were finding more and more resistance from people to this cuts in living standards that they wanted to impose on people, cuts in the welfare state and so on. And so they realized that ultimately there would be a revolt against their policy, which we can see now among the American public and in Europe and so on. And so what they decided that they needed to do was basically to move to a more authoritarian system. So that's why... The Republican Party now is 100% behind removing the basics of American democracy, which is the first time uh, in the history of the Republican Party where it's actually happened quite like that. And this is confusing a lot of people. They can't understand how that's happened. But that's the background to why this is happening. And and the danger is, is that this policy that they are following, they will then export it like they've exported everything else. <clears throat> the neoliberals... Another interesting aspect of them is that they're very internationalist. Um, and I haven't got time to go into the details of all that, but they, they have set up the neoliberal organizations all over the world and, and finance them and, and so forth. And, and so this all ties in together. So I think we will see if, if, by, if, by, um, if, the, America, if the, Amer- the Democrats are not able, you know, if Biden, so far Biden's proved to be a very weak leader, that's right. And if That's he's not, if he's not able, you know, he's made a big speech days ago, 
on this question because all, all, there's alarm bells ringing all over America right now about this trend towards authoritarianism and they realize what's going to happen. And if they don't do something about it by the elections in, by, by uh, January next year, it's too late they, because the Republicans look like they're going to win uh, one or even both houses um, right. and they won't be able to change the law after that. So, <clears throat> so they've only got one year in which to stop this process. Now, they could do it, but it would require the president to be really strong and threaten um, Manchin and Cinnamon. Who is, these right-wing uh, Democrats in the Senate are actually following the orders of the neoliberal movement. Effectively, yeah, exactly. Right? And I think it's going to be very difficult. I mean, uh, even judging by the presidency of Donald Trump, uh, whom... You know, he wasn't really able to uh, to sort of assert his power over the executive branch yeah. throughout his presidency. Well, we'll see. We'll see so there is this foreign policy blob, but mm. there's also this neoliberal blob, right? That it's uh, that is there in Washington, or like all exactly over American well. politics, basically. But having said and that, I think I mean, it's going to be very uh, uh, difficult if <coughs> Trump didn't uh, wasn't yeah. able to do that. Then the, this Joe Biden, with you know, I mean, he's he's not really. Uh, how to say this? Well, in his best form, right? I mean, he's almost senile, or uh, sure. th that's the appearance, uh, at least. So he—he's calling in the big—he's pulling in the the big guns. So, for example, in uh, in the la last week, um, uh, Bill Clinton has called Mansion, Obama has called Ma Mansion, even even um, uh, that talk show host. What was her name? What was that woman who was the the famous talk show host? Oh, Oprah? Oprah Winfrey, even Oprah Winfrey is called <laughs> Mansion to try to persuade to change their mind about what they what they what they're trying to do is to get them to lift the filibuster so they can actually uh, that you know even that's another weird thing in the in the Senate that they don't even run the Senate on the basis of a majority vote you, on no. most issues well, right. you have to vote with sixty senators out of a hundred so yeah. you have to have of the of the senators to approve something to law, which is another weird, and was never in the original constitution. So, um, so they're trying to lift that, that rule so that they can actually have a, a majority vote and, and pass these um, federal legislation. All these things that they're doing at state level against voting. But whether it'll right, happen, so it didn't let's happen, just sum it up yeah. now because we really have like two minutes uh, uh, sure. uh, until uh, the end of the program. So I just want to ask you this: Do you think that? Right. Uh, neoliberalism at, at the moment as a trend, uh, like political, ideological, practical, whatever, is the biggest threat for democracy globally? I think so, yeah. Right. Well, I that's... Uh, neoliberals, they've taken that, because they've taken that ideological position that their agenda for... Because they, they're, they're planning far more radical... They, what they've done already in the last... 40 years is bad enough, but they're planning mm -hmm. a lot more radical things. Uh, like eradicating democracy in general, I would say, right? Well, no, but I mean, no, that, that's the means to the end. But the, the end yeah. that they're aiming for is to is to make the rich even richer, which means mm -hmm. the poor will get poorer. Um, and But they know that that will be popular. So they, they, they can't just uh, carry on them uh, limited democracy we have in the West. So they... they even uh, that, they, right. they're, they're even that. And I think we'll see. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in 2025 if a either Trump or a Trump-like character takes over in the White House 
and they and they'll have a super majority probably, and they've got the Supreme Court. And can you imagine the impact that will have across the world on? I mean, it was bad enough when Trump was in power, but I think there was a there was a shock when he, you know, and he was a bit of a strange character. There was a bit of a shock for the first period, and people didn't. Um, People couldn't really believe it, and they probably thought, "Well, yeah, he'll be a one-term president, and then it'll go back to normal." Um, whereas, in like in Brazil, we were unlucky that we actually got a president who's like Trump took over. So you can see how that influenced politics in Brazil. But you can imagine Trump-like characters popping up all over the place. Um, oh yeah, I can easily imagine how Trump is going to go there with a tank, basically, because you know, because of everything that he experienced during his first presidency, then you know, he's probably uh, going to go and and like crack down on then everyone that is that well, wouldn't be supportive. No, we could have a we could have a war with China. Oh yeah, that's that's for sure. Terrible, yeah, yeah, yeah. terrible yeah, things could result from all. Yeah, this, that know? that could just end humanity <laughs> for good. So yeah. uh, anyway, we got a uh, we we we're, we're over time now. So thank you very much, Pat, for sure. this discussion uh thanks so much for all the insights that you shared with us uh and thank you uh to the viewers uh please uh hit the subscribe button the like button the the bell button all of the buttons and uh go to our patreon page patreon.com slash the barricade and to the extent that you feel you can afford please make a monthly subscription to support independent journalism from eastern europe thank you so much see you in our next program Cheers, Brian.